0: If you will, in your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. We've been doing, uh, I've started a a new kind of series on uh, biblical theology, which, um, as we talked about, when people hear the word theology, we often balk. And we think about uh, scholars in in, in a library um, pouring through scriptures and thinking high thoughts and haughty thoughts even sometimes. Um, prideful thoughts, but we do theology every day as believers, whether we realize it or not. And I think it's good for us to talk especially about the character and nature of God and how that works in our lives, how it should work in our lives. We don't do theology and learn about God just for the sake of gaining knowledge, but how does God work with us? How does He relate to us? How does He help us? And I think it's good to go through that. Well, this one is about how God is the judge of all the earth. Last week we talked about Him as creator. That's one of the first things we learn about God is that He is the creator of the world. But we also learn that He is the judge, soon learn that He is the judge of all the earth. And He is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong and dispenses His justice. Genesis 18, beginning at verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God for a, a blessing on the reading and of the hearing of your word, Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Is there any justice in the world today? True justice. We talk a lot about justice these days. Um, we hear it from um, the uh, the media constantly in, in in news reports and opinion pages, um, and opinion reports on on TV and in our newspapers. We hear. Politicians talk a lot about justice for people, social justice. Um, But what does justice look like? Who who, who is the one that determines uh, what what is just and what is right and what is good? A lot of times uh, justice today becomes what we call social justice. And and they call it social justice because of, um, and it sounds good, but what what they tend to say is that there are certain oppressed groups of people that need um, special kinds of treatment uh, and 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 uh, need special kinds of rights in order to overcome um, what the majority um, who are often uh, seen as oppressors have have done to people over those years and and it seems to be more of um, an egalitarian view when I say. Um, or, or, or an equivalency view i have no problem with egalitarianism per se but all all men are created equal but, but 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 they're saying that these these groups need need to have special rights and they they they're they're victims they um they, they, these certain groups of people need to have some sort of special treatment or special rights um and 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 they focus on these on these minority groups um all the time whatever that minority is and um it's it it I think it creates a false sense of what real justice is. Because justice is for all people, regardless of who they are, regardless of whether they're in a minority, regardless of whether they're in the majority. Justice is for all people. And and God is the source of justice. Too often we, we try in, in, our, in our own country to determine what justice means and, and what it is. But if justice doesn't come from some source outside of us, then, then I'm the one who can determine what's right and wrong for me, and 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 it generally turns into this idea of what's fair or unfair in in, in my own eyes. Uh, we we tend to have the, this personal view, this individualistic view of what justice is, and and if that's the case, then then what, what we're going to have is a chaotic society where each and every person thinks that they're right and everybody else is wrong, and you know. I mean, I think that, that, that's quickly where we're going in this country with uh, the, the, the crime rates that we see in, in New York and in and, uh, Chicago and other places. Where does justice come from? Where does the, the right and the good come from? It has to come by uh, outside of us if there's going to be any kind of, 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 of truth and justice, true justice in the world. It, ha- it has to come from a source outside of us. And I believe that source is God. It's the same idea as, as, as truth. Whatever is true, whatever is real, must come from somebody outside the world, which is God Himself. He is the source and ground of all truth, and He is, has to be the source and ground of what, all, of what is good. And He is the one who determines that. So we come to this story of, of Abraham, and um, the question for us is, what, what does God want us to know from this story um, that, that's given in these scriptures concerning Abraham? You know, in, in this story, um, some background to it, you know, Abraham was, was just a man like anybody else. And he, he was living in, in what's now southern Iraq, um, southern Babylon, but, but it's basically southern Iraq. And he um, hears the call of the Lord and says, you know, if, if you follow me and, and, and go where I send you, then you will be my special people. And Abraham responds to the voice of the Lord and, and begins traveling to the place where God says, I will show you, which we know now to be the land of Canaan. And so Abraham um, listened to God. He, he believed in God. He was taken um, over to the promised land. And there God showed him um, that he was wanting to, because of Abraham's faith in God, he was wanting to include him in his covenant plans um, for the world. That God would have a special relationship with Abraham in order for Abraham to be the vehicle and, 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 and uh, the, the, uh, the vessel for God to spread His blessings to the whole world. Because the whole world had turned and rejected God a long time ago. That happened in the Garden of Eden. But Abraham was God's special person, His special vessel. And, and um, the, the Scriptures say in, in Genesis 15, when, when God appears to Abraham in this vision and, and makes the covenant with Abraham, it says, Abraham believed God... And it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was not a righteous person before God. He didn't have any kind of righteousness in and of himself. But because he believed in God and listened to the voice of God and followed God, because he had faith in God, God said, declared him to be righteous. Righteous. Prepared Abraham to be righteous. And so in this scene in Genesis 18, you know um, God decides to go to Abraham. And it says that, that the Lord appeared to him as a man, and there were two angels with him who appeared as men as well. And they visited um, Abraham in his location there, um, what's called uh, near, near the Oaks of Mamre, uh, there in, uh, in, in Canaan. And Abraham um, recognizes who it is, and he, he falls down before him, and he um, uh, says, "Let me you guys come and refresh yourselves. Let me clean your feet." He runs and tells Sarah, his wife, to go bake something. <laughs> Which I think is funny. He tells her to go bake something. He tells his young servant to go to the uh, calf and, and uh, bring, bring uh, fresh milk. And um, you know, he, he brings all this stuff out for these men to refresh themselves. And uh, Abraham and, and the Lord blesses Abraham and um, he he's having this council with his two angels and he says should we not reveal to Abraham what we're going to do because he has become he is a right he is a righteous person he is my friend he is the one who I, I'm in covenant with should I not reveal to him what our plans are and so the Lord tells Abraham in, in the few verses um, beforehand. In verse 20, uh, there of chapter 18, the Lord says this, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have, um, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now Abraham instantly knows that if the Lord is, is, is uh, receiving an outcry from, from uh, within Sodom itself of, of uh, justice, an outcry for justice really, he knows that that means that, that God is going to get down to business. <laughs> he knows that, that God is going to exact punishment. He knows that God in His wrath is going to do something in Sodom. He knows that they're, they're about to receive punishment for their sins. And so Abraham, um, you know, kind of takes the Lord aside here in the, the passage that we read. And he asked him, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And that tells us a, a few things about God as, as the righteous judge. And, 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 and that's the key term here when we talk about God as judge, is his righteousness. God is Righteous. The word word righteous comes from an old English word that means right-wise, to be set upright, to be set straight. And and it means in in, in these instances that they're set right with with a standard that that God has, a a, a moral standard, a standard of what is right and what is wrong. And and God, as we talked about last week, as the creator and Sovereign of all the earth, He has the right not only to establish the natural and scientific laws that govern creation, he also has the right to set up the standards of right and wrong for his people. And he has also the right to exact punishment on them for, for their sinful offenses, for the things that they have done. Abraham asked the question, and he, and he, he knows this in his mind, will not. The judge of all the earth do right. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> but in Abraham's mind, he, he's thinking that there there's good people there in Sodom, and then there's wicked people. And what we learn later on, a little bit further down, is that what... Abraham seems to be really concerned about is his nephew. His nephew Lot lives there in Sodom, and so he's he's saying, "Lord, will you really, will you really sweep the righteous away with the wicked?" And I'm sure that he's thinking that his nephew Lot, in his own in his own mind, is is, is righteous. But the Lord says, "You know, if I if I go there and if I do find." 50 righteous people within the city then I will spare the city but I believe that Abraham could see the expression on God's face on the Lord's face and knew that there's not 50 righteous people in this city and so the story continues on I'm not going to read the whole thing but, but you can keep reading it if you want to Abraham gets into this negotiation with God over the next few verses. Lord, what if you find forty people? Will you destroy the city? The Lord says, I won't destroy it for forty. Abraham says, will you destroy the city for thirty people? And the Lord says, I won't destroy it for thirty people. And Abraham says, what about twenty Lord? He's like, forgive me Lord for being being, um, a a little bit um, wearisome here but, you know, what about, what, about, what about that? He said, I won't destroy it for 20 people. What about 10 people, Lord? He says, I will not destroy it if I find 10 righteous people in the city. So Abraham has, has, has whittled down <laughs> um, how many righteous people were in the city of Sodom. I mean, it wasn't even 10 people who could be called righteous within this city. But God says and promises that He would spare the city if there were ten righteous people within it. But the problem is, is that there's not ten righteous people within that city. Now this exchange tells me a few things about God and a few things about Abraham. But in particular, God as judge, when He hears the outcry of His of, of people who are oppressed and, 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 and are having... um. Just uh, uh, all kinds of violence done against them all kinds of injustice done against them God hears those outcries God hears the outcries of the oppressed He hears the outcry of, of those who are being victimized He hears the outcries of those who are having violence done against them and those, those kinds of outcries from us will evoke a response from God as the judge of all the earth. If there is wickedness being done in the world and we cry out to God for that, God will respond. It may not be within the timing that we think He should respond and it might not be immediately, but He does respond. In other passages, it, you know, when, when God revealed Himself to Moses, it tells us that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy for thousands of those who, who love Him. But it also says He will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. In other words, God is slow to anger, but He does get angry. God is, is, is slow to exact His punishment, but he will when it, when, it, when it becomes time. The outcry of this, in, in other words, God will not allow wickedness to go on forever as the judge of the earth. And in that, you and I can take comfort. That God is not allowed is going to allow evil and violence and, and wickedness in this world to continue. At some point, God will be stirred up to act on behalf of those who cry out to him. And we need to take comfort in that as His people. But, but Abraham, you know, I'm sure he's thinking about Lot here and he's going through it. And, and he, he knows that the Lord's anger and wrath are stirred up against Sodom. And, and Abraham knows himself that what he needs to do is, is fear the Lord and make an appeal to Him for mercy. Because he knows that that God is the judge. He recognizes him as the creator, the sovereign. He recognizes him as the judge of all the earth. He recognizes him as the one powerful enough to exact his justice. And he knows that his nephew Lot is is in the crosshairs. But not only Lot, the people of Sodom, whoever is living there. you know, Abraham fears what the Lord is going to do. I think we as believers are not afraid enough anymore of what the Lord is going to do. There used to be a healthy amount of, of fear among the people in, in our country. And I think it had lot, largely to do with the influence of the Christian church. Because the Christian church knew of the wrath of God. They, they knew of the judgment of God against the guilty and against wickedness. That there was this wholesale recognition that we needed to fear and respect the Lord, and and do what what is what is right before Him. But I think because the the church has forgotten to be afraid of God's justice, the the world is 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 uh, even more less afraid of God's justice. We have we, come to the place in, in, in our hearts and minds that. Um, God is, is gracious to forgive our offenses and that God is full of grace, 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 mercy, mercy. And yes, that is true. God is a God of grace. But I want to tell you this. There is no grace for those who refuse to repent and to acknowledge their sin. There is no no grace for those who... There's no forgiveness for anyone who refuses to recognize their sin. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you've accepted Him as Savior, Jesus came to atone for our sins. And our sins are covered past, present, and future. But, and here's the caveat, but, if we continue on in known sin before the God, and we refuse to acknowledge our sin for God before God, we, we had better be pretty well pretty afraid. Because the wrath of God is against those who sin. And we see that here in Sodom in this wicked city. Now, just briefly looking at Sodom, we know one of the problems that Sodom had was that they were committing uh, sexual violence and oftentimes we associate um, the word Sodom with a particular sort of sexual violence and that, and that, that is men perpetrating violence against men and sometimes you know uh, well we, we've generalized the sin of Sodom to mean all homosexuality um, but I think I think that's just one aspect of what was going on in Sodom, and it's a serious aspect. Don't get me wrong; that was just one aspect of what was going on in Sodom. There was all sorts of wickedness going on. There was all sorts of oppression and violence being done against people. I mean, in in the story, Abraham, um, um, I'm sorry, Lot goes into his house and welcomes the two angels in as guests. And he, um, as soon as he welcomed them in, he locked the door because he knew that, that um, the people of that, the wicked people of that city, would come knocking on his door. And eventually, they did. They came and they pounded on the door and demanded that these two men be brought out to them so that they could do the sexual violence against them. I mean, it was a wicked, wicked city. And so what happens is, of course, uh, the angels, they they blind the men who were trying to assault them. They drag Lot and his family out of the city just before the hailstones and the fire and the brimstone came down on the city to destroy it. But Sodom's wickedness had grown so great that it came up before God. There, there, There was wickedness in that city. And, and, and none were righteous. And I think that, that's another point too that we need to realize. Not only do we need a healthy fear of God's judgment against our sins, we need to realize that without God, we have no righteousness. I mean, the whole point of, of Abraham's exchange here is, is you know, he keeps whittling it down. 50 people, 40 people, 30 people, 20 people, 10 people. I think the point is is, it's not just about Lot and His family. I think the point has to do with there is no one who is righteous in God's sight. Not unless we come to him confessing our sins and seeking his forgiveness. There is none righteous. Abraham was as we said before, Abraham was not righteous in and of himself. He was righteous because he believed in God. And he had faith in God. His faith was credited as righteousness because he didn't have it in his in self. None of the people in this city could be called righteous. And in fact, they were openly wicked people. So what we have to understand is that, that it's an evening even playing field before God. All have sinned, Paul tells us in Romans, and fallen short of the glory of God. But it also says they are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus who offered Himself up as a propitiation for sin. There is no righteousness in and of ourselves. It comes because we accept Christ as Savior. We confess our sins. We ask Him to forgive us. And God counts us as righteous And then He imparts righteousness to us through the Holy Spirit. God Himself comes in the form of the Holy Spirit to make us righteous people, to change us, to transform us. And that transformation doesn't always happen overnight. There's a process as we surrender more and more of ourselves to God's Spirit, the more God's Spirit cleanses us of those those sins and faults and and gets that, that unrighteousness and wickedness out of us so that we can grow closer to Him and become more and more righteous and become more and more like Him. God works in us graciously to forgive us of our sins as we surrender and confess to Him. And that's the key there. Are Are we going to allow God to be our source of righteousness? Are we going to turn to Him in repentance and faith? and allow Him to change us. Otherwise, we're going to be counted along with the wicked when the judgment comes. God is the judge of all the earth. He will do right. And on the other side of this too, we, we have to think. You know, God has His righteous people that He loves. And when we cry out to Him for justice, He responds to that. But then again, that, that means then that everything that God does in His wrath and in His justice in, in, in destroying the, 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 the wicked and punishing the guilty, He is doing that on behalf of the righteous who are being oppressed and torn apart and, and having violence done to them. They're trying to do follow the Lord. They're trying to do what is right. And yet all of this wickedness and oppression is coming up against them. Whatever God does in in, in wrath, in His punishment, is because of zeal and love for those who follow Him. Because if if God did not stop the wicked and hold back evil, then even the righteous would be corrupted or or destroyed. God, as, as the judge of all the earth, is, is, is sustaining the world by, by going up against the guilty. But again, we as believers, are, are, I think sometimes we're, we're forgetting that God is the judge of all the earth. He has a standard of what is right and what is wrong. His Word tells us what that right and wrong is. God has revealed it to us. He doesn't leave us going around groping in the dark, wondering if this is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. He tells us, and if we'll look at His Word, we, we can learn about it. But as believers, we need a healthy fear of God as the judge of all the earth. But remembering that this judge is also merciful. And if we come to Him and confess our sins, He's willing and just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And another thing that Abraham does here is that He he begins interceding for the wicked. And I think as as believers, that's the other reaction we should have whenever we recognize that God is the judge of all the earth. We begin praying for our loved ones who are caught up in, in wickedness. We begin praying for other people who have not asked Jesus to be their savior. We, we we pray vehemently vehemently before them because we know that one day, you know, what they're doing and how they're living is going to be judged by God. And, and and we need to be interceding for the world for that. We need to be praying that Lord have mercy on them. Lord drag them away from their sin. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to convict them and help them to see their wrong so that they'll come to you and receive your mercy and grace. Having a healthy fear of God's judgment drives us to pray for others who need to hear of the message of salvation, who need God's mercy and justice in their life. And so as the people of God, our, our job is, is as people who are under God's justice, who are under God's um, righteous eye is to make sure our lives are clear of sin by seeking His forgiveness and 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 fearing Him as the judge of all the earth. But it also should lead us to be praying vehemently for others who don't know, who are lost in their sins, who are lo- living their own way, who are going their own way um, way in this world who are who are ignoring god and living for self and committing all sorts of sin and wickedness in his name let's stand